2: Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Hello, this is Let's Go There, where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our crazy lives, and so much more, with some fun music in between right here on Channel Q. It is Shira, and filling in for Ryan today is Dr. James Simmons, who we call just James here.
1: (laughs) I was going to give you like a what up, what up, what up, like because Vanessa was giving us like a Saturday night at the club, DJ thing, but maybe the different tone for this show, different vibe.
2: Different I don't vibe? know. I always bring the party vibe. in Oh, here. okay. I mean, I mean, party vibe and politics. There's here always we go. room Let's for party there. and politics. So we like <laughs> to mix it up here. Uh, but good news, you mentioned here in California, we're doing really good with COVID.
1: Isn't this fantastic? It, we we knew we were really close. So we, the state of California, had the lowest case rate of new COVID nineteen diagnoses in the contiguous forty eight states last week. But Alaska was beating us. Now we are the best in the whole country of all 50 states. We are number one. We have the least amount of covid cases. So I think this is really funny that this comes on sort of the heels of the announcement that there are enough signatures for Gavin Newsom's recall election, which was the big emphasis for doing that because he shut us down too much, Mm -hmm. which is why some Republicans and others want to oust him from office. We're going to talk about. But congratulations, everyone, for doing yes. the right thing and getting California to number
2: one. Good job, California. And for all those listening in other states, well.
1: That's all right. Y'all you know, are there. You can you can do this. You can do this. Exactly. Maybe we're a good example. I don't
2: know. Uh, coming up on the show, the study that reveals the current state of trans youth. That's at 335 p.m. Pacific, 635 p.m. Eastern. Plus what you need to know about India's COVID crisis, mm-hmm. because it's just horrible. And we want to break it down because I think that knowledge is power and We have to know what's happening outside of our bubble.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we can sort of celebrate our Californianess or whatever state you're in or wherever you're listening to this right now, but we need to know that that's a crisis in India right now that we need to pay attention to.
2: That is for sure. Let's get into some what's trending this hour. CDC Director uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky shared some good news for vaccinated Americans today.
3: If you are fully vaccinated and want to attend a small outdoor gathering with people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated or dine at an outdoor restaurant with friends from multiple households. The science shows if you are vaccinated, you can do so safely unmasked.
2: And Biden reiterated that later just saying, "You know, this is the way it is. If you want to if you want to get out there, go outside, then get vaxed."
1: Some people are saying that this is really more of a Ploy to get people to vaccinate. Because you know we're starting to see numbers come down now, but they're like, oh, well, you can go outside now without a mask yeah. if you vaccinate.
2: Like dangling the carrot.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think either way, how wh- whatever the motivation is, it's really, really fantastic news. And I still really urge people keep wearing your mask indoors, keeping safe, particularly when you're around unvaccinated people, those that are vulnerable, etc. We're doing better. We're not at the end of this yet.
2: I agree. Well, that was what's trading this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? James.
1: Well, yay! Dr. James gets to do do. entertainment news this is so much fun this is why i love guest hosting for let's go there ryan you're out of a job because i'm taking over darlings Yesterday We talked about Caitlyn Jenner running for governor and Gavin Newsom's recall election, which is now bound to happen. Well, Caitlyn Jenner apparently is the only person in the whole Jenner Kardashian clan who's actually happy about this. According to TMZ, now say what you will about them, Caitlyn's sons, Brody, Brandon and Bert actually asked their mom to pump her brakes on running for governor. They were like, please do not do this. Whatever you do, don't do it. The Kardashians had already come out and said even before Caitlyn officially announced that they were not going to be on the campaign trail with her, that they support whatever she does, but that they were not gonna be involved with anything like this now. Caitlyn's sons before her marriage to Chris Jenner are also saying, we are not really supporting you in this. So Caitlyn's out there all by her lonesome.
2: Oh, well, you know, she should have thought about that before she said <laughs> Well, she has, you know, Trump's friends. So that, She does. She's got, she's got
1: right. a Trump former campaign advisor, uh, a campaign uh, leader, Brad uh, Parsale is in. Also, Arnold Schwarzenegger chimed in on this whole thing and said, Caitlin actually has a shot. And if anyone knows... It's Arnold, because remember when Arnold said he was going to run for governor 20 years ago, 22 years ago, whatever. Everyone was like, no way, Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be governor of California. And then look what happened.
2: We see that every time with everyone.
1: Uh-huh. And yeah. then they surprise us. Donald Trump.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Case in <laughs> point. Stop being surprised.
1: Yeah, I think we need to not be surprised about this, whatever. So uh, we'll see. I'm sure we will be talking a lot about Caitlin and her potential governorship.
2: Just brace yourselves. (laughs) Okay, well, coming up, the repercussions of the 2020 census and how it's impacting states across the country. That's next.
4: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: New data from the U.S. Census Bureau is forcing a lot of changes, including Democrats giving up seats and electoral votes. What happened? Well, Richard Fowler is back with us, Fox News contributor. Thanks for joining us today for this, Richard.
5: It's good to be with the both of you. How are you?
2: You know, we're great. James is here filling in for Ryan. Yes, hello, Richard. Dr.
5: James, how are
1: you? I oh, am doing well, very well. So, so happy to have you on. This is this is going to be uh, very interesting. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this. Uh,
2: yeah. So, Richard. Interesting indeed. Yeah. Explain <laughs> what happened with the recent census because I think it's one of those things we hear about and you're like, okay, no, this is important, but now we're seeing the impact of some people's uh, filling in the form and maybe possibly other people who didn't.
5: That's such a good point, Sheriff. So over the past couple of years during this global pandemic, over the past two years during this global pandemic, what you've seen is the Census Bureau telling everybody to fill out the census, fill out the census. And everybody's trying to figure out why you need to fill out the census. But now we know why. You fill out the census because the census determines congressional seats for the next 10 years. And and what makes it so interesting is in the state of New York, 89 people Mm. did not fill out their census. And as a result of those 89 folks not filling out their census, New York lost a congressional seat and won electoral vote.
2: What? 89 people? Come on.
1: Is it, isn't it? that 89 wild? 89 people made the difference. Yeah. This is why when we tell people, like, it is important that you vote, it is important that you do things like fill out the census, you have to. Now, I do want to ask, so, you know, this is certainly making headlines, as it should, and the census is really, really important for a lot of different reasons. But, Richard... <laughs> Is this a difference that's going to make a difference? Like, New York has so many seats and electoral votes that we always know tend to go a particular way. Same in California. At least in those two very blue strongholds, is this a difference that's really going to make a difference?
5: Uh, It actually will make a difference because beyond just congressional, beyond just electoral votes, it's also congressional districts. So Texas and Florida, Texas being given, I think, three additional seats, if I'm my numbers correctly, and Florida given two additional congressional seats will mean they will be able to redraw their districts. They both are under Republican control to favor Republicans in three more Democrat and three more congressional districts. And you have to understand, for Republicans to take control of the United States House of Representatives, they just need to pick up five seats in the next election. Mm. If they're redrawing five of those seats, how much easier is it to pick up those five seats? which can literally change the makeup of the United States Congress.
2: Yeah, this is kind of scary. It was like what it was like That's the voting uh, is important. It was yeah. the uh what's it called like the loop, not the loop of uh, the hidden door or whatever. The what's the mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for?
5: I'm I'm not yeah, sure.
2: It's, it's a thing that people it, weren't lo- focusing on but yet would make a big difference. Uh,
5: I mean the, I know the I know what you're saying. I don't know the word but <laughs> it it is a
1: tremendous difference and uh, you know you you were sort of talking about re redrawing of districts and I I think that this this whole Like makes the conversation about gerrymandering and why this is a big deal anyway even even more important in this instance because now you have a place like texas which is sort of purplish now but could be redrawn to then lean right
5: back red because they picked up these seats yeah and i mean i think with while yes it is scary in the next come in the next election i think it's also worth remembering that republicans have an interesting and democrats for that matter, have an interesting game to play on their hands because the, the district that they draw today will be the district, or the district they draw this year will be the district in the country for the next 10 years. So while you might draw a district today that could favor Republicans, tomorrow or the year after that or two years after that because of population change, that district can favor Democrats. So it's important to point that out. So I think what you're going to see here is everybody look at this map. This is now where the lawyers and the map drawers And the politics gets involved with the census, right, which is, okay. now that we know what this new reapportionment looks like, how does this benefit us politically for the states that have a political redistricting process?
2: Yeah. So what happens next now that we know this? They get into this process?
5: Right. So now the process begins. The process is usually delayed. The data that we received this week from the Census Bureau is usually data that comes out in December. So now what you'll see is state legislatures and governors all across the country will now quickly have to begin to redraw their maps to figure out what will the new maps look like um, and how will it benefit, you know, each political party. Now I think it's interesting to understand while I did talk about those five seats that are up for Texas and Florida, remember New York, since they lost a seat, will not have to redraw their map. So what you might see them do is they might, might find a very conservative New York district and redraw that district to make it a little bit more, you know, purple. So you're going to see a lot of map drawing all 50 states will have to do this and they'll have, I mean literally a couple of months to get it all done so they can have a primary process and an election process in next election year. So it's going to be very interesting to watch what happens next, but the more of the story here is in the next 10 years from now when people tell you to fill out the census, fill out the census.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that that leads me to, you know, Richard, obviously you were, weren't in charge of the census, right? I, I'm not saying that this was uh, that you have some sort of insider knowledge, but just with the knowledge that you do have and your opinion, why do you think this happened in places like California, New York, all these different states? Why do you think that there were so, such dramatic shifts or even in New York where they just missed By 89 people. Do you think people didn't fill it out because of COVID? They were scared because of documentation status. They think the census is a fraud. Is this a conspiracy thing? Like, what do you think was really underfoot here?
5: I I think that's such a really good question. I think it's really important to point out that there was a lot of politics to be played in the United States Census. While it wasn't the main news story of last year, what we saw from the Trump administration is them trying to add a citizenship question onto the census them trying to limit mm-hmm. uh, advertising money. They did everything in their power to make it really hard for people to fill out the census as possible. And this is why they did it because they knew if they could put some fear in the minds of, say, for example, you have 80, I mean, think about it, 89 undocumented folks in New York city, right? If just 89 of them started to fill out the census. Understanding that filling out the census does not, uh, does not, get you deported. It does not cause you, and there's nothing illegal that can happen to you from filling out the census. But because the fear was put out there and the blood was sort of in the water for far too many undocumented folks, they were like, I'm not going to fill it out. I don't want people to know where I, who I am or where I am or where I live. Cause then they'll come, the ice will come and take me away. And mm-hmm. what that's resulted in is less people filling out the census in places like California, Illinois, Michigan, um, New York, and the list goes on and on.
2: Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining us for this. That was Richard Fowler from Fox News. Have a great rest of your day. Coming out on the show, Biden has hit his first 100 days in office. So how has he done so far? We'll be bringing you more of that with The Washington Post next.
4: Let's go there with Shira
2: and Ryan. Channel Q. President Biden nears the end of his first 100 days in office. So where does he stand, according to Americans? Well, Emily Guskin joins us, polling analyst for The Washington Post. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. So this post-ABC poll revealed his approval rating is lower than any recent past presidents, thankfully, except uh, Donald Trump, though, because that would have been scary. But what's the reason behind this? So
3: we did a poll and we've been doing this for a while and other pollsters have been, too. So we were able to compare their net approval near 100 days going all the way back to Eisenhower. Um, and we found that Biden had a small majority approving of him, 52 percent, which is almost exactly the the opposite of what Trump had at his 100-day mark, 53% approval. Um, and yeah, it was, it's a small, he has positive 10-point approval rating. Trump had negative 11 points, and Obama had positive 43 points. But what we're seeing these days is just so much more partisan division than we've ever seen before. And that's really clearly evident in these polling data and looking at historic data when the population just wasn't as polarized as it is today.
1: I mean, I feel like this this number, Emily, is actually surprising, almost in a good way, given that polarization of the country right now. I am surprised that there are even a, you know, that's a technical majority of Americans yeah. who polled, yeah. at least, are in favor of what Biden is doing right now in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of polarization, in the middle of, you know, three months removed from an insurrection, et cetera. Uh, did you find that you and your, your team doing the polling that you were surprised by these numbers?
3: Well, I think that one of the things you mentioned, the coronavirus pandemic, and that's something that we asked about. How do you approve or disapprove of the way Biden is handling the coronavirus pandemic? And he gets really high approval ratings on that, 64 percent, including 33 percent of Republicans. So the way he's handling that is being is boosting his his approval rating overall. He also gets um, a slim majority approving of the way how he's handling the economy, 52 percent approve of that. Smaller share of Republicans approve of how he's handling the economy, 17%. But those are two, like, those are the issues right now um, that we're looking at. And he has majority approval on both of them.
2: And what about immigration?
3: We asked specifically about the immigration situation at the U.S.-Mexico border instead of immigration writ large, since this seems to be the issue that's really um, affecting uh, that is, is perhaps hampering his his administration right now, and he doesn't have as high approval ratings on that. Thirty seven percent of adults approve. High shares of Democrats, you know, in party favorability, and just ten percent of Republicans approve. So a majority disapprove there of how he's handling that.
1: What are these numbers? sort of go from here historically, right? We we put a lot of emphasis on this first 100 days. Biden did a lot mm-hmm. of that himself as well. This is sort of a thing we do. But there isn't really much to the 100 days, right? We sort of mm-hmm. make that up. But what what yes. happens here in terms of polling numbers, because ultimately, the popularity contest aspect of presidency does sort of end up being important, at least when we have midterm elections, and then the presidential election after that. So what typically mm-hmm. happens? What can we expect from this?
3: We usually have seen traditionally like in the past history of polling that presidents get what we call honeymoon period where people are willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and rate them a bit higher on several issues and their approval rating um, but I you know, what we saw in the Trump presidency is that kind of went out the window. Um, and that continues to be a very partisan thing right now. Um, Americans are are really split. And I know we, you probably hear people say that time and time again. Um, but we found that 78% of Republicans strongly disapprove of how Biden is doing his job. Now, that's only slightly higher than the 72% of Democrats who strongly disapproved at of Trump at his 100-day mark, <laughs> but it's way higher than the 43 percent of Republicans who strongly disapproved of Obama when he re- reached his 100-day mark. Mm. At no point during Obama's first three years in office did strong disapproval among Republicans reach what Biden is looking at right now among Republicans.
2: That's so interesting. So how will this inform the administration's strategy moving forward?
3: I think, you know, they probably are pleased to see that uh slim majorities in several polls that came out recently um say that they approve of what Biden is doing and I think they'd probably be happy about that and probably not happy about the approval rating on the on the issue in the border, which um they've it's is probably the biggest problem right now. I think, you know, coronavirus has high approval ratings. People are getting vaccinated more and more. Um, So it seems to be a corner turning on the pandemic, even though I'm talking to you from home and not my office. But um, that's that we seem to have turned a corner there. So there's there's probably some optimism on on that issue.
2: It's interesting. The immigration situation seems to be the weakest link here. Like and it's so Mm -hmm. it's gaping. It's Mm -hmm. so obvious. Mm -hmm. You would think at this point they're like, okay, we've figured this other stuff out. People trust us. We've proven it. We need to focus here, and we need to show action and change sooner rather than later.
3: I'm very glad that I am a pollster and a journalist and not a politician, because <laughs> I'm much much happier to report on what people think and what they're seeing things doing, how they're seeing things happening, as opposed to trying to come up with the solutions to problems.
1: Yeah. you, you do also have you don't have the solution to the immigration problem with the God. border just right now, Emily. Right now seconds. with us. Here we go. Ready to go. Ten seconds.
3: Setting policy. <laughs> yeah. um, we asked also about the two like huge plans that the Biden administration have put forward, like the, the two trillion almost two trillion dollar coronavirus relief package, and sixty-five percent of Americans back the plan, which is a pretty pretty wide uh, pretty large majority, especially since we go back to talking about how how partisanly divided the country is. Um, and that includes nine over 10 Democrats supporting it and one in three Republicans as well and a majority of independents. And one interesting thing with that bill, we found that Republicans with incomes under seventy five thousand dollars were l- more likely to support the package than Republicans with higher incomes. Mm. Of course, no
2: surprise there. Well, Very uh, interesting. Emily Guskin, polling analyst for The Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Coming up on the show, Rick Santorum and giving his take on Native American culture is our drag of the day. That's next. (laughs) Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum, who's a Republican, by the way, you won't be surprised, you know, about that when you hear what he said. He has drawn a lot of criticism for these comments he made last week at the conservative group, the Young America's Foundation event. Here's what he had to say
3: from nothing. I mean, there's was nothing late. We, we birthed a nation from
1: nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but in, but candidly, that, that there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. Uh, it it was
0: mean, born of what, what, the people who came here oh. pursuing religious liberty <laughs> to practice their faith, to live as they ought to live.
2: Talk about colonizer. Wow. The ultimate
0: colonizer
2: right here.
1: Wow. I had read the comments but not heard them. Hearing them for the first it's time, bad. I I am a little shook, like not going to lie. This is really really deep. And while I have no specific like involvement in the culture of an actual tribe, now I do have quite a bit more than a fourth of native blood in me. I don't think that matters. As an American, this is fundamentally wrong. It is a lie. It is perpetuating like whiteness and white supremacy and colonization. This is absolutely stunningly horrible. Like, I cannot even believe that you completely dismiss the cultures of 500 different tribes and millions of other individuals, some of whom were some of the most advanced civilizations of the time, and you just get rid of all that. There was nothing here. Erasure. Just complete erasure. Ah, Wow.
2: And it was so just in people's faces. Like... Yeah, complete denial uh, and propaganda, really. Uh, Someone said that, you know, someone with his views on Native American genocide is fundamentally no different than putting an outright Nazi on TV to justify the Holocaust.
1: Oh, wow. There have also, you know, historians have sort of pointed out that there were actually, you know, this like... You know what he goes to say, because I think he's catching himself in the middle of his thoughts, by the way. He's like, there really isn't a Native American culture, which I love how we just lump all tribes together, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's like saying Asian. Yeah. Like all Asian cultures are the same, but whatever. So we just that there's no Native American culture in American when, in fact, like the 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 Six Nations Confederacy actually really influenced and coexisted alongside some of what we were building and our government here and has actually influenced some of our founding documents here. Like, he doesn't even, as a senator, he doesn't even know that. He doesn't even get that. He just lets his white supremacy just shine yeah. on through, boo boo.
2: Let's talk about the land we're all on. Like, just, do that research yourself. Like, Google, like, whatever address you have right now, Google and see what was on the, this land before we are all here.
1: Absolutely. And the people who lived there. Yeah. And the culture that was there. And, you know, even if, you know, we are a queer station and, there were so many tribes that raised and honored and praised multiple genders that they m- believed in the non-binary and that they you know, th- or even like third genders and third genders were to be praised and elevated in tribal situations and made leaders of tribes and spiritual leaders Ooh. and all of these things that happen that are important to our culture and were also just completely erased.
2: So, Rick Santorum, you get our drag of the day. We're not going to say cancel here. Well, we have, we say it all the time. Oh, let's go there. But well, I just, I'm starting a little segment, the drag of the drag day. Drag of the day. But this is like a bad drag. Usually drag is good.
1: Not right. And not, we're not talking RuPaul's drag race. Yeah, we're talking, exactly. no, we're going to drag you through Let the Let us mud. Uh,
2: know what you think of Rick Santorum's comments. Oh if you even God. want to waste your time, at LGT Show is where you can find <laughs> us on social media. Coming up, will you tell what state, we'll tell you what state is paying residents to get a vaccine. More details next on what's trending this hour.
4: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: Coming up this hour, the current state of trans youth, according to a recent study, that's in 30 minutes, and updates on Lizzo's DMs with a hot actor. Mm. That's in the T-Report right now, pretty much, in a moment. She's
1: into somebody's DM. I'm just
2: saying. Uh, But let's first get into some (laughs) what's trending this hour. Uh, This story continues. Uh, We keep finding out new information. The FBI has now opened a federal civil rights investigation into last week's police shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. The family attorneys for Brown released a private autopsy that found he was fatally shot in the back of the head. Uh, Brown... A 42-year-old man had been shot four times in the right arm and was trying to drive away from the county sheriff's deputies who were actually issuing a warrant when he was hit in the head. Elizabeth City is now being declared a state of emergency and instituted a curfew starting tonight at 8 p.m. because of civil unrest.
1: Mm. I I think it's really important that, you know, as we have these conversations that we have to just keep having because the police keep shooting young black men, is that it's not the police's job to be, uh, what is it, jury and prosecution. making that
2: decision, yeah. and like also assuming that they're going to do something bad before they even do anything.
1: Yeah, I, I don't like like you are. Your job is to protect and serve. Your job is to not kill people because you think they did some sort of crime, or even if someone did some like minor crime, your job is not to kill them. Like that's not your job. Yeah, just pl- plain and simple. Like even if people are like, oh, it's always racial. Why? Why is everyone making this a racial thing? Okay, fine. The police are disproportionately killing black people. Like period. End of discussion. That's been going on since slavery 1619 if you will but then beyond that your job as police is not to kill people period end of discussion like just stop doing it the
2: uh the pistol happy you know they're like they they opt to with to their guns so quickly mm-hmm. uh, and it's sad because it seems like this happens more so here in this country Absolutely. where it will be like okay the the first option is the gun versus other things
1: yep. versus you know working through a situation that you supposedly have been trained on to de-escalate and try to do other things in the Adam Toledo case is another you know clear example of there was time to think and not shoot and that did not happen and that 13 year old boy ended up losing his his life as well, just like Andrew Brown. And it will be really interesting to see what happens tonight because more protests are planned, even in light of this curfew right now. So it should be very interesting to
5: see.
2: Well, let's move on to some good news, some decent news. Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia announced a new vaccine incentive program.
5: We're going to give every single one of these people, the people that have already stepped up, our young people, Our young people that have already stepped up and been vaccinated and every single one of our young people, we're going to give a hundred dollar savings bond to every single one that steps up and takes their vaccines.
2: Okay, so would you get a vaccine if you were being given money?
1: I'm well. Okay, so this is my my. I don't have an issue with this. I think this is fantastic, yeah. right? Because I am super into now. I think it's because I'm old now, but I'm super into like I'm saving and I'm investing and I'm doing all these things. I'm trying to set myself up so I can retire early totally. and all that stuff, right? So a hundred dollar bond, I'm like, yeah, you're not going to make a ton of money on it, but it starts people in the right direction. But I think what's going to happen is people are going to be like, no, I want a hundred dollars in cash.
2: Yeah, like what I need is to pay my groceries. Bonds, like what? what do you well, do you, with you that?
1: get these government bonds. They only have like two to three percent return per year. Like you're not going to make a ton of money on it, but it is $100 towards something now I suppose people could cash that out and get some value for it but I think more people are going to be like no I need a $100 gas card right I need I got kids to feed like give me $100 the in bonds. cash right I'm not sure a bond is a thing but it's also much easier for the government to do that to issue bonds rather than like straight up cash it either is. way incenting huh. people for the vaccine I think is where unfortunately we are right now but uh-huh. I'm all for it
2: I was waiting for this one Yeah, and that was What's Trending This Hour What's Happening in Entertainment News James?
1: okay I love being the entertainment reporter Yes. So we all know, well, you may not know this. Lizzo slid into Chris Evans' DMs last week. She
2: and did what we were all wanting to do.
1: She sure did. And it was absolutely hysterical. And Chris Evans is not necessarily, I mean, he has a little bit of an interesting history on Instagram and TikTok and whatever. There may or may not have been a picture that was accidentally released of a part of Chris Evans that he wishes he maybe hadn't released. Well, It's no surprise to anyone who follows either of these two in Hollywood that Lizzo is a little bit obsessed with Chris Evans, right? She's been super into him. He's retweeted some things that she has tweeted. And then she's just been like, marry me. Well, last week she slid into his DMs drunk and he has since responded. And they've actually carried on an entire conversation now. And Lizzo has fueled the fire a little bit more for her fans and Chris Evans fans by giving us a literally like less than 10th of a second flash of their dm conversation on tiktok and so she literally goes on tiktok and she's like let's see how good your pause game is and she flashes the the uh the the conversation and then people have to try to pause and see what it was well someone does have that good pause oh, i'm sure
2: there are experts pause experts now
1: totally of course cuz that this is cuz you know people want to do these things so A quick take on the DMs. It says, well, they say you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. This is coming from Lizzo to Chris. And even though I unsent it like a dork, I'm glad you know I exist now, is what she wrote. But it turns out that Chris Evans is like, of course he knows Lizzo exists. Come on now. He writes back, of course I do. I'm a fan. Keep up the great work. There was more conversation there but it was not shared so who knows if they got a little juice mm-hmm, or something maybe she would really.
2: like I'll do some twerking on uh huh yeah, you know
1: juice get it I tried to make a joke about juice oh, okay oh, or I maybe hear he you. was like I'm unavailable cuz the truth hurts
2: you're good. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, I'd
2: try. be too slow. I'd be like, LOL, hee hee hee. I like
1: this. You're like, oh my God, Chris Evans. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my, oh God, 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 my God, God, oh my 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 God, oh my
2: God. Wasn't he Captain America?
1: He He's my Captain America.
2: Okay. Mm. Uh, now, coming up, more on the current crisis in India and why they're currently experiencing the world's biggest coronavirus surge. It is so sad. Mm. We're going to be breaking that down next.
4: Let's go there
2: with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. It's truly horrifying watching what's happening in India right now. It really is. The country reported almost 347,000 new cases over a 24-hour stretch. That's according to the New York Times. It's setting a new worldwide high for the third day in a row. And hospitals are running out of beds and oxygen. Mm. It's it's tragic what's happening. Uh, and we wanted to talk more about it and just, uh, you know hear more. And I don't even know if there's anything we can do to help right now in terms of a global community. But Dr. Amesh Adalja is here, infectious diseases expert, as we dive in. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. How did this get so bad?
0: It's a combination of, of several factors. And I think it had to do a lot with complacency because India fared better than many people thought early on. And people attributed that to a younger age, less obesity, maybe other infectious diseases that were there that were interfering with covid-19 and 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 that and that was kind of the the basic premise in the beginning but they had a, and they also had a lockdown and you've got to remember that many people there can't social distance very well because they live day to day and we had a major migration of of individuals that that left the cities in india and moved to the countryside and the virus was still there it started to spread but because they were kind of spared the worst aspects of it, they started to lift all of that and then had big festivals where people mixed and the virus continued to spread. A more contagious variant emerged. And they are a system that does not have really great health infrastructure. And they've they've basically spiraled out of control and they're unable to vaccinate their population fast enough, even though they're a major vaccine exporter. Only about nine or 10 percent of their population has been vaccinated. And that's just not going to be enough with that level of spread.
1: Is, is there a, a re-emphasis or a focus on vaccinating populations and maybe not even kind of like how, you know, we rolled it out here in, in the United States in terms of older individuals, older individuals with comorbidities, things like that. Is there an emphasis now on just trying to vaccinate as many people possible as a part of trying to stop the spread?
0: That would be the best strategy now is just get vaccine into people's arms. But the problem is they don't have that much vaccine on hand. They have a couple, they, they have one vaccine that's developed in, in India and they're giving that to, to people. But I think that what's happened is they're very supply constrained right now and just unable to do anything. But it would make sense just to get vaccine to people's arms as quickly as possible to decrease the spread and also to protect the, the high risk populations. But it's going to be some time before they're able to catch up because it's not vaccines don't work overnight and, and it's going to require you know steady supply. And that's something that they don't have.
2: So what's going to be done at this point? Is it just like sit back and wait? Or like, you know, they're obviously forcing people to social distance and a lockdown. What happens?
0: Well, you have to remember that the lockdowns are not going to work if people can't don't have a luxury to lock down. That's true. There's a distance. huge,
2: uh, ho- I mean, houseless crisis there as well.
0: Right. and And I think that's something that we forget that in the United States, it's much we have the luxury to be able to social distance or have enough savings to be able to to go without work for some time and not starve to death. And that's not the case in some parts of, uh, of India. What they need to do is go back to basics, test, trace, isolate, and vaccinate as much as they can. They have to really start getting people to, to wear masks with a lot of uh, compliance. They've got to try and get people to social distance, and, and they've got to try and mobilize the world to be able to get them more vaccines, and that's likely to happen. The U.S. stockpile of AstraZeneca vaccines likely will have some designated to India there's export restrictions on ingredients for vaccines that are being lifted in the United States, and the CDC is sending a strike team there to help. So there are there are things that are being done, but it's going to be some time before they, they're able to get a handle on such an explosive spread.
1: Uh, Dr. Aldaja, just real quick, we only have just a few moments left. How should the rest of the world... Be preparing for how this might impact them, right? So we know we know we are such a global community, and with the cases going up as they are now in India, should other countries be concerned?
0: Every country should be concerned if there's another country where where the outbreak is uncontrolled, because that just gives the virus more chances to mutate, more chances to spur off new variants. That will complicate everybody's response. And India is a major part of the world economy. India is a major vaccine exporter. Some of the plans to vaccinate the world are really dependent upon India's manufacturing capacity being used to fulfill orders. So all of this is going to have ripple effects. So it is really important uh, of all the countries that, that this one be handled uh, as, as quickly and expeditiously as possible because it is going to be something that that delays the world's uh, the world putting this pandemic in their rearview mirror. Yeah,
2: definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here to share. What's happening? Thanks Th- for having me. That was Dr. Amish Adulja, infectious diseases expert from Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. And by the way, there are ongoing fundraisers related to the COVID-19 crisis in India. You can go to bit.ly slash mutualaidindia with capital M-A-I. So bit.ly slash mutualaidindia.
4: Let's go there. With Shira
2: and Ryan. Channel Q. There's new research about trans youth and specifically across different generations. We found this article, by the way, theconversation.com. Great site.
1: Fantastic. I, th- I This is new to me. Thank you for introducing me to this. I love that their little tagline, academic rigor, journalistic flair.
2: Yeah, sexy. It's yeah. very sexy. Well, this assistant professor of psychology from Michigan State University, Jay Puckett, wrote about this research that they've done that shows that Generation Z... And just as a reminder about the generations, because I lose track, from uh, (laughs) 1997 to 2012 and millennials born 1981 to 1996. Although
1: very arguable, right? Lots of people like to argue that. Yeah.
2: They're more diverse in their gender identities than older generations. Not surprising that, right? Uh, But it's true when it comes to identifying as genderqueer, non-binary, and agender. And the Generation X participants, 1965 to 1980, and Baby Boomers... Born in 1946 to 1964, uh-huh. were more likely to identify as trans women compared with younger participants.
1: This is really, I think this is really fascinating. It sort of speaks to where we are moving as a culture and as a society. Essentially, what they did is, is, is they took 695 trans individuals aged 16 to 70 and asked a bunch of questions about how do you identify? And as we are, you know, Shira just pointed out, so many more younger individuals, particularly the millennials and Gen Z, Had some really fantastic results in terms of how they identify, and in particular, you know, I think it's always really important to remember that there is no like one specific way to be trans.
2: One size fits all.
1: Yeah, there it it that just doesn't work. Like, and and I think the younger folks, the millennials and Gen Z, are really really latching onto this because they should, because this is how things should have been for a long time. One of the things, obviously, as a healthcare provider that really excites me is that millennials and Gen Z are receiving their first trans-related medical care experiences somewhere between the ages of 16 and 25 versus Gen X was about 38 and baby boomers was into their 50s before they were receiving their first trans-related medical care. So obviously, as a healthcare provider, that means a lot to me, and I'm so excited to See that.
2: Yeah, and we, and because a lot of them couldn't come out, it wasn't safe mm-hmm. to come out, uh, and they weren't, you know, ma- they couldn't be honest themselves, and so we're seeing a lot of the older generation come out later in life and make these changes. Whereas, as we become obviously more acceptable of all of this, and society just gets it, uh, we create a more affirming environment for. trans community
1: absolutely and and elevate trans voices and and not even just representation absolutely representation is makes is so important but even as you know the great laverne cox i had i had a pleasure of being able to interview laverne earlier this month and laverne talked about you know even her as a i think she's at least for in our community an a-lister for sure right yeah one of the biggest names and biggest trans names in the entire world still had physical violence against her just last December. Mm. And so while these are changing and the younger generations are able to sort of identify and move through their gender fluidity however they need to, and that's beautiful and wonderful, there's still so much more work to do because trans women in particular, trans women of color in particular, are dying and being murdered because of their transness. And so while this is all fantastic, it's just another signal that we need to keep doing more.
2: And completely, and I think this informs hopefully also all these schools and educators and lawmakers, that when you have a study like this that says on average uh, that, gender felt, that people identify their gender and that they felt different than their sex assigned at birth at age 11 with the youngest age-reported, for this milestone, what they're calling it, at age two, wow. you see why it's more important than ever before to create these affirming environments and and really allow children to identify the way they want to identify versus what's being hap- happening right now, the control that's happening because of fear and homophobia and transphobia, mm-hmm. right? And so when you have studies like this that come out, you see why it's important to push for this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so many people, you know, particularly people on the side of of trying to take away rights from yeah. trans individuals and and gender fluid individuals and non-binary folks it, one of their biggest arguments is, "How can you know?" No, That's no, exactly it. No one knows when they're so young, right? Well, when I was a kid, and blah blah blah, and X Y and Z, and of course, these are sixty-year-olds, probably like cisgender heterosexual people making up the rules and, and saying, "Well, how do you know?" Well, this survey very clearly of the six hundred ninety-five folks that mo- they all knew somewhere between the ages of two and eleven. Two
2: and eleven, that yeah. they
1: were were. I hate this word, but different. Right. They felt like their their gender assigned at birth didn't match what their gender was on the inside or that they were a gender or gender fluid. And people know early and we have to respect that and adjust accordingly to protect these kids.
2: And what happens when you do that? They said and all these respondents, they reported living um, with a less internalized stigma. When they had trans-related medical care mm. and affirmed gender, uh, and they reported less depression and uh, what researchers called gender non-affirmation, less of that. So once again, why it's important for us to continue fighting Absolutely. for these rights across the board to protect the trans youth, but also trans women of color. Absolutely. As you mentioned. And
1: we can't even just be allies. Those of us who are not trans, uh, we have to be accomplices in the work.
2: Yes. Uh, well, coming up next on the show, Newsom, Governor Gavin Newsom may set up heroin injection sites in California. More on this controversial decision next Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So California could become the first place in the country where people can inject illicit drugs under medical supervision. And a lot of people are talking about how this pushes legal ethical boundaries, uh, but it's being looked at because of an alarming spike in overdose deaths.
1: Huge. 29% nationwide, 40% here in California in the year September of 2019 to September of 2020. And... I think everyone should probably remember what was going on in 2020, obviously a pandemic. And there was a huge spike that we've seen in other things related to mental health issues, depression, other types of drug use and overdose. And we are seeing these huge spikes. And now lawmakers here in California, as well as New York, Illinois, Rhode Island, are really trying to do something about it. But what they're trying to do is really controversial.
2: Yeah, so I didn't know about this it's a concept of safe injection sites that Mm -hmm. have been implemented overseas but it hasn't been implemented here in the U.S. though right
1: no and well there are some places that that do this not necessarily completely and totally legally Um, so what, what the concept is is that People who, who inject heroin in particular are at super high risk for lots of things. There's lots of needle sharing going on. So as someone who's been really involved in in activism for HIV prevention for a really long time, that's obviously a, a massive means of, of transmitting HIV, right? So that, that's going on. There's just unclean needle sharing happens that can increase rates of hepatitis and other things like that. Plus, when you are having to do this in secret because you are addicted, and remember, this is the most addictive substance known to mankind, when you have to do this because you are addicted to it and you're doing it unclean in a back alley or in someone's garage or whatever, and it's unmonitored, unsupervised, it increases the rates of overdose. So what we talk about when we talk about clean and safe injection sites is they're medically supervised. You come in with clean needles. It's like medical grade heroin, essentially, and it is dosed and <laughs> yeah. monitored so that you get the heroin that you need that your body is craving because you're addicted, but it's also preventing Uh, overdose because it's monitored and it's dose regulated.
2: Yeah. And I could see how this is controversial because it's like, are you enabling? And also taxpayers are like, I don't want to pay for this. Are we paying
1: for this? Right. Yeah. Which is a lot of what a lot of Republican lawmakers are saying, you know, in all of those states, of course, and here in California. And I think this is does really come interesting uh, now that we know that Gavin Newsom is, of course, facing a recall election. So previously he has said that he is very, very for this. And this is a pretty progressive, pretty left leaning thing to be, you know, supportive of. But now that he's facing a potential, uh, or he is facing a recall election, he may have to lean more moderate in the middle because there are even moderate Democrats um, and moderate, even sort of moderate progressives. Is that a thing? Who are yeah. saying, no, that this is not something that they would be in favor of.
2: Yeah, and then why would he even want to test those boundaries? Yeah, right? well,
1: he may not have an option. This is actually moving through the California legislature right now. It may end up on his desk where he might have to make a decision on this during this recall election when they're doing debates and they're doing all of these things. Like he might actually have to make a decision about this, so it could be really, really controversial.
2: And the thing is, I mean, from your as a healthcare provider, do you think this is the answer to this crisis?
1: I that's an excellent question uh, and it's hard to say whether you know, addiction or not this is a
2: total other industry than you're in. But kind yeah, of like well, but no, but I see it because
1: I, I take care of patients in emergency departments and hospitals all the time. Um, and so I see a lot of this, a lot of people addicted to these things. I have firsthand experienced people overdosing and, and caring for folks oh. like that. So here's the problem. Everything we've done so far isn't working. Right. Yeah. The okay. opioid crisis has been going on since the 90s. It disproportionately, although not as much as other drugs like illicit drugs, but it does does disproportionately impact um, poor people, uh, people of lower ec- uh, socioeconomic economic status, and people of color. So once again, we have those things exposing themselves. What is the solution? No one's come up with this yet because it's such a difficult topic, and it's been going on since the 90s. I think injection sites ultimately are are safer, obviously, than shooting heroin in an alley, right?
2: Yeah, but it's a band aid. To a much To a much, problem.
1: much, much bigger problem.
2: Yeah. Hey, psychedelics is where it's at. No, that's, that's <laughs> also a, a simple solution to no. a much more complex problem. A
1: much, much, much more complicated problem.
2: Well, let us know what you think about this. Would you be comfortable with heroin injection sites? Hit us up on social media at Show. We love hearing from you. Coming up, we'll tell you why California has banned state-funded travel to Texas and involves an anti-LGBTQ plus bill. That's next on What's Trending This Hour.
4: Let's go there with Shira
2: and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, now coming up on the show, how to cut your screen time. We all need some of that help. Do you ever get a notification, James, of your screen time? And you're like, no. Oh, I spent seven <laughs> hours today on my screen. Like, how is that even possible?
1: Uh huh. The average that comes every week. Oh, I signed up for it on purpose. And yeah, I, I've actually been dropping since pandemia has been releasing, since oh. we've been able to go out in the real world. I've been dropping a little bit.
2: I should check. Because I just I, I just get surprised every time I see it. Like, no. You're like, get, I really get spent get that
1: much time on my phone I know, every it's day. Sad. Like,
2: that's well, crazy. We're here to help you out, and it'll probably help. I'm super into this, too. too, because
1: it messes with sleep and mental health and yes. all that stuff. Yeah.
2: So that's coming up in 30 minutes. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The Supreme Court rejected a request by the state of Texas to allow them to file a complaint against the state of California for banning state-funded travel to Texas in response to an anti-LGBTQ law. So Texas, under the administration of Governor Greg Abbott, uh, passed a law in 2017 that allowed foster care and adoption agencies to refuse to work with potential parents who don't follow the agency's religious principles even if they receive state funds. So California put the state on the list of states that can't use state funds to send staff board members to or students to. Because basically when you say (laughs) like, um, if you don't follow the agency's religious principles, basically they're not going to allow LGBTQ plus individuals to adopt kids. Mm -hmm. So California was like, okay. You mess with us, we'll mess with you.
1: Right. Well, you got listen to make change. You got to hit people where it hurts the most, and it is always, unfortunately, 100 percent the pocketbook. Right. That's how change happens. And so California was like, uh, we're not sending any of our money, our state taxpayer dollars, for anything to anything at your state. And now three now three years later, because mm-hmm. Texas, I don't know, it has to, nothing else to do or whatever, has now filed a lawsuit claiming that California is discriminating against them by not paying for state employees. Travel.
2: i just find that really ironic that someone who is discriminating is saying they're being filing a lawsuit against. that they're being
1: discriminated against uh-huh this is in this is in the rights playbook this is how this happens right we talk the immigration crisis for instance i, I mean I, I know i'm changing subjects a little bit the immigration crisis has been going on for a very very long time now according to the right it's solely 100 joe biden's Fault and responsibility. Right. So when things were going on, it wasn't a crisis when Donald Trump was president. But now that Joe Biden is now that there's a Democrat in the House. Oh, it's completely Joe Biden's fault. He's completely lost control of all of these things. Right. This is just it's part of politics. It's part of grandstanding. And in particular, you know, Texas has been uh, touting all day long. Uh, these new numbers because of when we lost uh, the census numbers, right? That we talked about earlier in the show. If you Mm -hmm. missed that, there's a podcast downloaded on Odyssey. Yeah. So you can go back and listen to that, but we talked about how, you know, we've lost an electoral vote, a congressional seat here in California because we didn't meet our numbers as before. Some of that is because people are moving from California to places that are more affordable like Texas. And so Texas is kind of trying to rub it in our face, I think.
5: And
2: maybe, though, that will make Texas purple towards blue if more people keep moving from these other states. Hopefully,
1: it's on its way there.
2: Okay, another actor is possibly running for governor of California. This is getting crazy. First, we have Caitlyn Jenner. Now, actor Randy Quaid tweeted this today, that he is seriously considering running for California governor. I promise that if, I, if elected, I will clean up the district attorney offices throughout the state, this 70-year-old actor said. You might know Quaid from his role in National Lampoon Films, followed up, uh, and he included the hashtag, #RandyQuaidForCAGov. CA cagov so things are just getting interesting oh, here in California, the, the rest of the country, and I think even Canada, I always talk to my parents, I'm like, what's going on over there?
1: <laughs> right. And you just, listen, you have to take these things seriously because we've had too many actors now, unfortunately, uh, win elected seats, so you have to take them or seriously when they do d- this. just
2: distract from what we really need to focus on. Right. But. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news?
1: All right. So one of my favorite artists of all time, and I know that is very problematic to say, very controversial, Michael Jackson. Uh, a judge has now dismissed the lawsuit against Michael Jackson's estate from accuser Wade Robert, Robson, excuse me, and you may uh, remember Wade from he was one of the subjects in the Leaving Neverland documentary that really uh, shocked a lot of people and woke a lot of people up, up to what may or may not have been going on with Michael Jackson Um, And younger kids, really. So initially, the the lawsuit was first filed in 2013, but was not allowed to move forward because at the time it was uh, against a statute of limitations. It had been too long. Well, California changed its statute of limitations rules in 2020 for... plaintiffs in child sex abuse cases. So Robson's case had the potential to go back now, but a judge has now just said that that has thrown out the case against uh, Michael Jackson's loan companies, MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures, of hmm. uh, facilitating uh, abuse against Robson from Michael Jackson. Um, the judge, Mark A. Young, held that companies had no ability to control Jackson because Jackson wholly owned both of them throughout his entire life. So he threw out the lawsuit.
2: That quickly, you know, not that quickly. It happened over years. But it's like it's sad when you see folks come out and like you think maybe something will change, make a difference. And and then it just doesn't.
1: Yeah. Really. and, And even with I mean, I think it's a really fantastic ruling that California did in 2020 to allow child sex abuse cases to not have the same statute of limitations as other cases, that's great because people need to be held accountable for that and lots of times individuals who are abused particularly sexually as children are not able to be in a place where they're ready to like have punitive nature for that yeah. until they're, you know, adulthood.
2: But this made it so he was protected by his companies, right?
1: Yeah, so that, they're saying that essentially because he owned these companies, the companies could not be then held responsible okay. for yeah. his and, and, actions.
2: And if he was alive, probably he would be the one
1: yeah, to would he's be him because versus. he's
2: not got it all right well yeah. that's that sucks for them
1: yeah and i think you know i do really hope that there is justice for this and i do uh, it does bring the larger question of will we ever honestly fully know exactly what happened with mm. the many accusations against michael jackson
2: okay well thank you james for the tea report today. you got it
1: the tea
2: uh coming up on the show have you noticed that people don't say you're welcome as much anymore sure have. well there's a reason why we'll explain next thanks Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. So when someone says the words thank you, it's our natural instinct pretty much to say something in return like, of course, anytime, sure, or no worries, but what happened to the traditional you're welcome, <laughs> right? You're welcome. I mean, it seems like easy.
1: You, you would think, but no one says it anymore and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, I got you, no worries.
2: I didn't even kind of <laughs> realize this until we read this article and I said to myself, oh, yeah, I guess I've noticed that.
1: Yeah, it, right? it, it absolutely is happening so much, and I, I didn't think about it either.
2: Well, Diane Gotsman joins us right now, etiquette expert and founder of the Protocol School of Texas, to break all of this down. Thanks for being here, Diane.
6: You're welcome. How's that? Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. That
1: was great.
2: Thanks, Diane. Not Diane
1: right. Gotsman, everyone. Thank you.
2: <laughs> so, Diane, why aren't people saying you're welcome anymore? What happened? You know, I- I know
6: what the article says, and I am quoted in that article. And I don't think that people have thrown your welcome out the window, but I do think as time progresses and you know situations change, they have added additional words to to some to a remark that says thank you for doing something for me. So I think your welcome is fine, but I think when you say you're welcome it has to have a certain tone to it. In other words, it has to be sincere. So when I said jokingly to you, you're welcome. If I would have said no worries when you said thanks for being here or whatever you said, because, you know, we really don't put that much thought into it. It's just a kindness. If I would have said no worries, it would be like, yeah, no worries. I could be here. I, You know, I I may not. So Mm. I really do think it has a lot to do with with the person, the delivery, the tone, the gestures, the facial expressions, (laughs) So um, I do have a problem with no worries.
2: Yeah. Um, or I feel no like problem. this generation, and I'm, I'm one of those people, uh, it does feel a bit blase, casual. We're the casual generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And I feel like yeah. I, I, I act like I'm a surfer, dude, even though I'm not, by the way. I don't surf. And sometimes I do say dude. I found myself saying dude to dude. my mom once, which uh-huh. is strange. Uh, and I do say no, I, no worries a lot. So when I saw this, that you don't like people saying no worries, I'm like, oh here it goes. What do I need to know?
6: (laughs) So I think no worries in some situations is perfectly fine. And by the way, I want to preface this whole conversation by saying if someone is judging a really sincere response based on the two words you use, well, then that's on them. That's their problem. Because we respond, hopefully, we respond authentically. So if, you were, if, you, if I would say thank you for, you know, for something you did for me and you said no worries, and if I thought to myself, well, that was rude, well, then it, the, whole, the whole situation just changed, okay? So we should not be that critical of somebody else's response, first and foremost. Although, um, let's say you helped me, um, I helped you move a piano, your big, heavy piano from one room to the other. And you said, gosh, Diane, thank you so much. And I say, no problem. It wasn't a problem at all. You're welcome. And even if I don't say, you're welcome. That's just saying to you, "It's. I'm happy to do that for you. You know, you're, we're friends. I'm happy to do it. Um, it's just if somebody says, okay, I go up to a... I, I go to a hotel, you know, which is kind of hard right now. You know, we're just kind of easing back into travel. Mm-hmm. I go up to a hotel, I give them my credit card. They don't look at me; they look down. They don't smile, even though I can't see their mouth. But you smile with your eyes, by the way. That's how of I know course. they're smiling. Right. But they don't. They don't smile. I they check me in, and I say thank you, and they they say no problem. You know that that no problem is different than no problem or.
1: It's my pleasure. tell so- it is the tone, and we know that you know more than, and I, you, as an etiquette expert, obviously understand this. More than fifty percent of our communication with other people. Is nonverbal, which is why so many people have had a hard time doing all of this virtual communications and Zooms and all of these things that we've had to do in the in the last year or so. I just I just think it's so fascinating that this all really comes down to tonality, right? It, it's a it's more of the it's less the content and more the context of the delivery and how someone is delivering it as something.
6: Absolutely. You, you hit the nail directly on the head. You know, the way that we respond, our words are compared to our gestures and our tone of voice and our facial features even. You know, when we can see, even on remote, right now we're virtual, but if you're on a blank screen and they can't see your face, well, you're, em- you're, em- you're empty, you're absent. They can't tell if you're engaged. They can't tell if you like what they're hearing, and then then you um, you don't respond at the end. Everybody is saying thanks so much or thanks or great job, and you say nothing or no worries. That means God, I was you know you 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 um, you uh, you made me come here. You know, mm-hmm. so in other words, you were encroaching mm-hmm. on my time.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. So it, do you think though your welcome is too formal now? Have we moved on? Is it like an old school thing that only. An older folks or um, someone who's like trying to be very proper, right. formal, proper. Organizes. Right. Yes.
6: And if we stay it like that, you know, if we say now, I think corporately and especially depending on what industry we're in, you know, you go to uh, I walk into a bank, I ask for a large amount of money or I invest a large amount of money uh, with this bank or lending institution and I write them a check. They say I say thank you you know i say to them thank you for your time and they say to me no worries All good. that's different than <laughs> you're welcome it's cool dude so, so it's cool. the answer to that question is contextual <laughs> i think that if you say you're welcome or welcome and look down it's different than I- i'm i'm fine as long as whatever you respond with as long as it's compassionate genuine true there you sincere go.
2: okay well thank you for joining Perfect. us for this you always have the etiquette expertise yeah Oh, it's
6: my pleasure, and thank you for having me. Of
2: course. You're You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. It was fun, guys. Thank you. no (laughs) worries. (laughs) Bye-bye. Whatever. That was Diane Gotsman, (laughs) the founder of the Protocol School of Texas. Uh, Thanks again. Coming up on the show, do you have a hard time cutting down on screen time? We're here to help with those tips next.
4: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: Are you surprised every time you see your screen time pop up like why is it so difficult to cut it down why do i feel like a teenager and what? i'm like not a teenager
1: why do i feel judged like why oh, am i judging why, myself right the little thing the little thing pops up once a week and it's like your screen time went down by 6% you were only on your phone 13 hours a day or whatever it is i'm what like you, oh my god what am i doing yeah what are you doing with your life righty
2: right <laughs> Uh, Dr. Sarah Damoff joins us, associate professor of clinical psychology at Central Michigan University as we dive into this. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here and talk screen time with you. Right? I mean, is this something you do a lot these days? <laughs> <laughs> this is my entire research program, but as
7: a millennial and someone who is living through this pandemic, I can tell you it is very hard to put the screens down. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I'm really excited mm. that you're speaking about this today.
1: Well, okay, is that yeah. is that where this came from? I mean, is this like being a millennial and the <laughs> the pandemic Is that what sort of drove you doing some of this research or what was your motivation?
7: So for me, I think, you know, I really straddled between kind of like this, these two generations where I, I do remember my childhood without screens. I got my first cell phone, I think age 16, mm-hmm. but I still was like, you know, I was in that first group of people who got social media when, when Facebook was just like a college um, only mm. sort of social media platform. Right. Um, so, you know, growing up around technology and, and social media um, has definitely influenced my, my, my interest. But then it's also been, you know, as a clinical psychologist, I saw there was something missing and in, in how we talk to adolescents and young adults about their lives online. It's, it's not a separate online offline anymore. It's, it's everything and all the time and our online worlds are our worlds, you know? So mm-hmm. it's really critical for people working with adolescents and adults. Um, Cause frankly, adults are spending a lot of time on screens too, to talk about what really matters and the like pure numbers, doesn't that doesn't matter as much as some other things for example what you're seeing who you're talking with and when you're using screens i care more about those than the number of hours you spend on your phone or on social media
2: so meaning if i'm just spending hours with positive content it's okay Oh, I, yeah, I feel I mean, like then think, I'm just living. I'm like consuming positive, but not living positive, <laughs> right? And and so I think, I think I think
7: one big piece here is just as a reminder, we're in this pandemic and it's really hard. And there's a lot of social unrest and challenging experiences that we're all going through. And so first you know, cut yourself a little break here about being on online so much, because for a lot of people, that's how we're connecting with others. Um, and, you know, before the pandemic, there, of course, were great concerns about spending too much online. But I think the goal for, for all of us, whether you're a young adult or an older adult, is to find a way to make the technology, social media or your phones work for you and not let it Take away from some positive aspects in your life. And so, you know, one big piece, of course, positive content. We want to be engaging with people online who lift us up, who um, are friends, where we get social support, where we reach out to others, where we share who we are. Um, We want to not spend time consuming content that is negative all the time and that even goes for the news I mean sometimes the news can can be so draining and you need to take a break but I think the content really matters and that and that's one big thing but it's also how we use social media so I when, when talking with an adolescent or adult about their use, I want to know so what are you looking at when you go on social media Are you passively scrolling, comparing yourself to others, or are you engaging with people who um, are giving you support or you're or sharing an aspect of yourself that you you wanted to share with someone? So I think how you use Social media is also very important, and that's what the research actually shows: is that you can get benefits from engaging positively with others online, and you can experience consequences if the people that are following you or you're following are negative, toxic people. So that's another piece too: what you see and how you engage. But then the last piece. Oh wait, we're is, gonna
2: we're gonna oh. we're gonna wait to share the last piece of Ooh, this. Okay. Yeah. And how much time is too much time? You know, we don't want to judge you. We're gonna get into the numbers also. Yeah. Next. Okay.
4: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: We are back with Dr. Sarah Domov from Central Michigan University. We're talking about screen time, how to cut down your screen time and what you need to know. We're debunking it all right now. So you're getting into the the one thing that people should take notice of uh, as it relates to their screen time before the break. What is that one thing? It's when
7: you use, not necessarily how much you use. So what we've found in terms of how social media impacts us is is the timing of our use. So if we're using social media or we're on our phones late at night and it's interfering with our sleep, that's when I would say that there should be some changes made. Then we should be thinking about Changing the timing of your screen time, but not necessarily cutting back altogether. So choosing times during the day when you're not doing other things, or when you're acti- when you shouldn't be engaging in other activities, important activities like sleep, um, engaging with others face to face. Considering the times or the context of use really important.
1: So I have a, a, an interesting question. I'm going to turn the corner just a little bit here, Dr. Damoff. Yes. the The word screen time, and maybe this is because I'm just a little bit like of a semantic, I'm a little bit of a type A person, but I have this argument with my husband all the time about screen time. You've been talking Mm -hmm. a lot about social media and about being online, but I'll be Mm -hmm. like, you need to get off your phone and go to bed. And he's like, I'm not on my phone, I'm on my iPad playing a game. (laughs) <laughs> to me, as a same well, thing. right, and as a like health <laughs> expert or whatever, I'm like, okay, you're still getting blue light into you, you're still have this electronic device, it's still distracting mm-hmm. you. So it's not, he's not in the algorithm, he's not consuming mm-hmm. negative or positive news either way, mm-hmm. but he does have this big, ginormous, bright screen playing backgammon. And I did, I. I think it's causing an issue. So, is it just the online aspect of this screen timeness, or is it the actual being in front of a screen?
7: So, it, so it, it's kind of both, and so I, I think what gets challenging is when, when we mention screen time. Um, when I speak about it, I actually hate saying screen time because it just kind of distills it down to something that doesn't really lead us to changing our behavior. So I want to know what nuanced kind of ways are you engaging with any type of screen, whether it be a tablet, a phone, going on your computer, going online, going on a laptop, all of that would count as screen time, quote unquote. But what matters to me is, is this, is your use, is going, playing back in or going on your tablet or checking social media, is it getting in the way of your functioning? Is it causing problems in relationships? You know, is it interfering with time with a loved one, uh, for example? So, in considering if one screen time becomes problematic or too much, that really, that distinction there is really tied to, is it interfering with their functioning? Is it causing conflicts with you and your your significant other? Is it causing problems with your friends at work, being distracted and so forth? And but, so yeah. it, it, really, it really matters in terms of how is this impairing your life or things that uh, once were enjoyable? Are they no longer enjoyable? Is there conflict? Is there stress?
2: But I feel, and what you mentioned is so important, by the way, to notice. If that's happening to you, then... Let's help you out. Right. right Make right. a change. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I look at it, I think it can be more subtle. I don't think mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. life needs to be ruined for you to be negatively impacted by this stuff. It could be happening mm-hmm. to you in subtle, small steps where Absolutely. like you're slowly yeah. be, like, messing up your brain and yep. your attention, all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can we talk about the subtleties and like, are is there an amount of time you should be looking at where you're like, OK, you should start figuring it out and how do you do it?
7: Yeah, so I would, what we've been actually recommending is, is to kind of start backwards. So you have 24 hours a day. So take out all the hours that you need for sleep, all the hours you need for other things that that build up your your mental health and your well-being exercise you getting getting your stuff done for work or school so i would start backwards and count how many hours do i have left um and once i get everything else done (laughs) that i need to get done (laughs) um do i have time for screens and i know that that's you know it's kind of it's kind of like doing a lot of math and trying to figure that out but in, in all actuality there isn't a hard and fast rule for which line how much is too much um we would really say, is there a balance of other activities in your life? Yeah, Are just you finding, more about do, you know-
2: doing it that way, which I really appreciate. I've never heard yeah, someone like say that, that and I really like it. We actually need to go, but Dr. Sarah Domoff, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Alright, coming up on the show, we've got what's trending this hour, news around Burning Man. I know there's a lot of burners out there, or curious Burning Man folks, we've got some news next. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour of this show, the poll that reveals how Americans think Biden is doing after 100 days in office. And we'll also be looking at the current generation of trans youth, according to this study, um, and really some data that could help how we uh, approach these lawmakers who are pitching and proposing all these anti-trans laws. Hopefully, with this data, it could show them, like, what happens when they do this Mm -hmm.
1: and why it's so important that these laws be be stricken down that these potential laws not happen
2: that's coming up in 30 minutes first let's get into so much training this hour okay burning man 2021 Mm -hmm. if there's some burners out there it's officially been canceled.
5: Yeah. Oh, yep. Organizers
2: announced that today. It's the beginning of the I think festival cancellations. We're just starting to see the festival season right now. Again? And as we approach festival season, it's the beginning of the cancellations at least for this year. I think this is going to be the last year these cancellations happen. This is always going to be a transitional year.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure because you know? there's so many things that are happening that are maybe starting to come back. But I think the timing of this is really something else. You know, everyone's saying that 4th of July is going to be, like, the start of Hot Girl Summer, and, like, that's sort of when things are going to be opening up. And while, yes, we're doing great in California, other parts of the country are doing great, there are still other parts of the country that are having huge astronomical surges right now. We're just not ready to have a whole thousands of people all over each other in the middle of the desert.
2: Including with this, uh, where people come in from all around the world. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So they said it's impossible to resolve in the time that we have, because of the pandemic, we've decided to set our sights on Black Rock City 2022, uh, and they expect a virtual Burning Man from August 21st to September 5th this year. A similar virtual event was hosted last year after the 2020 in-person Burning Man was scratched. And actually, that one was interesting. Uh, I was a bit part of it on Zoom or something. Were you? Like that. I mean,
1: Burning Man on. And Zoom. And then there was like
2: VR one. I didn't experience that. It's cool. It's not the same.
1: (laughs) No, it's not the same. But I've never been to Burning Man, so I figured maybe that'll be a nice way to ease into it. Yeah, it's a a good way to ease
2: into it. (laughs) August,
1: I'll have my like glass of Chardonnay. (laughs) Feel like I'm such a burner.
2: I think you need like a red (laughs) sippy cup, or like maybe I don't know a bottle, like a baby bottle.
1: I can barter that Chardonnay with people virtually. Exactly. See how it works. Yeah. Uh,
2: Do it with your neighbors. of a Burning Man block, man. <laughs>
1: totally.
2: Now, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the AFSP and LGBT plus suicide prevention charity, the Trevor Project, have teamed up to encourage lawmakers to back away from anti-trans laws that impact trans youth. They delivered this joint statement where they asked lawmakers to, quote, seriously consider the mental health impacts of legislation that seeks to restrict transgender and non-binary young people's access to medically necessary, gender-affirming care, which can be life-saving. Of course, they added how suicide is the second leading cause of death among teens and young adults, and that transgender and non-binary youth are more likely to attempt suicide than their cisgender peers. And to support this community, they have this in their hands legislators to improve access to best practice medical care for trans patients and their families including mental health care
1: yeah and, and all of these things really follow not only just youth but they follow them into adulthood by the way yeah. that this is you know the the rates of individuals who are uh, feeling suicidal depressed um, have multiple mental health issues as well as drug addiction issues because of this because of lack of care because of stupid bills like this um, continues on to, into adulthood
2: well that was what's trained this hour. I want you to just get into the tea report quickly because it's juicy and I really want to hear more.
1: A little bit of juicy tea report. This is um, super fun. So um, I know there are lots of you out there who still love Kim Kardashian.
2: Or just and love talking. Like just, we have this weird obsession with talking about we do. her. Or or like
1: about how much we hate, right? Like people will love to uh, either like yeah. love her or hate her, the whole family, whatever. Well, rumors are now getting even spicier that Kim Kardashian may actually be dating drum roll Van Jones from CNN. Van Van Jones is an attractive individual, Mm -hmm. Yes, He had his own show on CNN for a little while, but you will most notably know him for all of his political commentary, typically with Anderson Cooper during all of the um, election cycle and all that. He's one of the biggest um, paid pundits on CNN that you see most often. Well, they were keynote speakers together at Rolling Stone's Criminal Justice Reform Summit in 2018, and rumors kind of started swirling even then that maybe there was a little something, something going on. But there's no proof of this. There are no receipts. There are no pictures. Neither of them have commented on anything. But now that Kim is moving forward officially with her divorce, of course, from Kanye West, fans are now focusing on who's next. And, of course, Van Jones is number one on their list. So, again, we have no receipts. We have no evidence of this. But it just keeps showing up every time Kim puts something out online. The comments are like, where are the pictures with you and Van Jones? It's kind of wild. I wonder if they're, you know, the, what's the old saying where there's smoke, there's fire?
2: Yeah, because page six talked about this. And it, it, after even this original mm-hmm. moment of it when they were having their divorce. In like
1: 2018. Yeah. Yeah. So it that, keeps so.
2: happening. And they're really like, they have this like deep dive essay about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, Kim is really trying, she wants a, a law career, she really wants to be taken more seriously, she's really into criminal she justice always reform.
2: aligns with someone who has it. So I, smart.
1: She, that it's entire smart, family. smart, but it also is, right. you know, very they, thirsty. They may, you may not enjoy that family, but there are multiple billionaires in that family. You cannot be dumb and be a billionaire. No. Just going to put it out there. It's
2: true. Yeah.
4: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: We are wrapping up our show as we always do with our Yaz yes Queen of the day. yes queen yes i felt that that was better Uh, now this gay couple got married at a very unique venue
1: it was a beautiful awe-inspiring and yet terrifying experience to get married in front of this majestic wonder of mother nature was a quote from one of the two men who got married in front of an active volcano. How
2: cool is that? I mean, it is pretty cool, including when it just erupts from the love that they have from each other.
1: Okay. Interestingly, they go on to talk about this. So these two men are from Iceland, right? And they actually have a really super fun uh, proposal as well. One of them proposed to the other at the Eiffel Tower on Bastille Day. I
2: mean, this this couple's goals, by the way,
1: is totally couples' goals. They're also both totally adorable. They're in sort of like semi-matching sweaters with bow ties during their like in their like engagement photos. It's adorable. But they go on to talk about how Mother Nature is in charge. To your to your point, Shira, that they the wind was going crazy and there's not clear access to this volcano, and they didn't think they were going to be able to do it, and the gases were getting in their face, and then all of a sudden the two of they just held their hands, and they were like, well, if whatever happens is going to Happen, let's just go up there anyway the winds died down the gases moved in the other direction and then all of a sudden as sudden as they say something magical happened it stopped snowing the sun came out and just as they were starting the ceremony a little eruption happened where like a little bit of lava came out and then flowed right behind them. That made the absolute picture perfect background for their ceremony. uh,
2: It is pretty epic. And they hiked to their wedding. Imagine that like, you know, Hiking. I mean, I want to think I could be adventurous like this. And then you would hope you have someone to touch you up when you get there. Like, I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm, like, out of breath.
1: Right, right. You're like, ugh. Can I can barely like, say I do. Right, like, You literally <laughs> have, like, sulfuric acid on your face. Can you just wipe this acid off my face real quick? No big deal. But you know, we're at a volcano. This is
2: so cute. Very inspiring. We love to see a gay couple happy. And then marrying in front of this, like, epic... Uh, Volcano And
1: active Yes active (laughs) Volcano
2: So a Yaz Queen To Samarlioli And John C I'm sorry if I butchered Your name By the way Uh, They get our Yaz Queen Of the day And if you want to Nominate anyone For a Yaz Queen Of the day Or you want to Recommend a story For us to cover on Let's go there Hit us up on Social media Slide into our DMs At LGT Show Now coming up On tomorrow's show We are back here On Channel Q Weekdays 2-6pm to Pacific 5-9pm to Eastern live we're going to be talking about the future of condoms. Yeah. Come buddy. on. Um, and also, we're going to be talking about how the White House wants to raise taxes on the wealthy without tach- touching the tax code at all. What does that even mean?
1: Yeah. we're gonna tell you. <laughs> Clearly, we don't know, but we're gonna talk Catching. about it. You and Ryan are gonna talk about it. Tomorrow. Exactly,
2: Ryan is back. Dr. James Simmons, thank you so much for filling in it's for Ryan the an past two days. You are amazing. Thank
1: you so much. You are amazing. You make it so easy. So does Vanessa. I mean, Vanessa, you producer know, Vanessa. I have some notes for Vanessa, but other than that, I'm kidding. It's been great being with the two of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you. Let's go there, listeners, for having me as well.
2: Yes, you're always welcome back. And Ryan will be back with me in full Ryan fashion tomorrow on the show if you miss any of our shows or interviews we post everything as a podcast just go to the odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search let's go there we are sending you love and light and uh oh yeah typically don't
1: forget to slay yeah there you go yes let let me spice it up and don't forget to slay
2: um we'll see you tomorrow have a great night and stick around for love line with dr chris where he's covering mental health talk with kids that's next